Welcome to the IonHoops.com podcast with your host, Guy Flotico. My goodness, we're already in late June, three months into the Tobin regime and just over three months away from Meet the Gales in October. Can't wait until then, but for now you're stuck with season three, episode 34 of the IonHoops.com podcast. The staff's been busy, so you'll be hearing Marlon Brando for the first time in a while. And for the first time ever, you're going to hear a rising star in the National College Hoops landscape. Kevin Sweeney joins the podcast. We'll excuse the fact that he's a Sienna guy at heart. Or will we? You'll have to check out that interview to find out later in the pod. And you also have to check out these Iona Iotas in your ears right now. Iona Iotas. Welcome to Gale Nation, Justin Menard. The class at 2024 combo guard out of St. Thomas More chose Iona over offers from Towson, Albany, FDU, NJIT, Sacred Heart, and NCANT, and interest from Pitt, LaSalle, Air Force, and Vermont. The 6'3 Menard is a, is a three-star guard on both ESPN and Rivals. He's a pass-first guard with a nice outside shot as well. Again, welcome to Iona, Justin. Iona, Iona. Everyone wants to know, what's up with Iona's NIL? Well, let me be clear. Technically, it exists and has been in play and has played a role in building this year's roster. These are facts. So those who are fearing we're behind in the NIL arms race, let me ease your concerns that that's not happening. So why isn't it public yet for all of the masses to contribute to? Well, one word, Patino. Now, of course, Slick Rick was working on Iona's NIL going back quite a ways, but as you would guess, and to put it simply, the design of the NIL at that time made it easy for him to, well, take it with him to Jamaica. So basically, the Iona, Iona Collective needed to be set up from scratch upon his departure, much like our roster. So another parting gift from Ricky. Can you imagine what these past couple months have been like for the staff? Rebuilding the roster from scratch with an NIL that is being pieced together on the fly. Wow. Anyway, we're not far off from seeing Iona's NIL Collective officially launch. Um, where it is, it's going to be happening next month. Um, still working out some of the details, sorting through some final red tape. So hang in there, folks. It's coming. We're still waiting for the full release of the non-conference slate, but another morsel is out there. Iona and Charleston are beginning a home-and-home series this year in Charleston with a return game in New Rochelle in 2024-25. The Cougars were everyone's darling this past season, going 31-4, coming out of the CAA, falling short in the first round against eventual national finalist San Diego State. Charleston is expected to be very strong again next season, so a tough road test to come for Tobin and the Gales. And now, let's see what's going on in recruiting circles, starting with your portal. It's been a couple episodes since we've heard that wonderful ditty. Well, we did put a feeler out to Mississippi Valley State transfer Raquan Brown just completed his junior season. Uh, Brown's a 6'6 guard. He averaged 12.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, and over a steal a game in 22 games played this season. Once again, pretty, once again, pretty clear the priority for the staff during this overall was getting big cards and wings in the portal, and Brown fits that mold. Not sure if we're going to be making a move here, but hey, at least it gave me an excuse to play that portal music. I know you guys have been missing Brando as well, and 
Well, the Iona staff has been very, very busy lately, so we'll bring back the Offer Roundup. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As I said, the staff's been plenty at it lately, so we've got a healthy list of reported offers to get through, so let's get to it. We're going to start off with a whole bunch from the class of 2024, starting with 6'7 forward Chike Nadefo of Vermont Academy. Yes, he is the brother of Casey Nadefo of Elite 8 St. Peter's fame. This Nadefo does have a similar feel to his game as well. And so Sienna and Fairfield have also both offered, as well as Grasso and Bryant, as well as UMBC. We've also reportedly offered Ricky McKenzie, a 6'4 shooting guard out of Marietta, Georgia. He's a pure scorer who can shoot it from deep, score through contact, great handle, has a bunch of other recent offers, including New Mexico State, Georgia Southern, Kennesaw State, and Hampton. How about a visit? 6'3 guard Josh Reed took an unofficial visit to Iona last week. Reed, out of Archbishop Wood in Philly, was offered by Iona during his visit and had recent offers from Buffalo and Quinney and also took an unofficial visit to Drexel recently. He's not one of those guys that has proven he can score in a variety of ways. Uh, more class of 2024 offers. Chris Johnson is a 6'5 guard out of Maryland with offers from URI, Towson, Mount St. Mary's, and Norfolk State. There's also Ty Bevins, a 6'5 combo guard out of Maryland as well. Seeing a theme with big guards, by the way. Um, anyway, this one is uh, ready. Three stars on rivals, two f- rivals and 247 and on three recruiting services. Uh, offers from Georgetown Temple, Charleston, GMU, GW, Hofstra, Drexel, Towson, and others. Can be a real impact player if we can land him. Let's go a little bigger now that we've covered the covered the gamut of, of um, wings for, for uh, that are out there in the class of 2024. Uh, how about a 6'9 uh, power forward out of White Plains by way of South Kent Prep, Jacob Hogarth. Uh, he's four stars in ESPN. He's got offers from Creighton, Maryland, St. John's, uh, Bonaventure, Buffalo, Fairfield, Quinney, Bryant, and Maine. Another guy sounds like he can have real impact for us. Um, last one for 2024, Brant Byers, a 6'8 small forward. Um, he was offered by Maryland all the way back in 2020, but his most recent offers a bit more tepid. American, Mount St. Mary's, Lehigh, Stonehill. Okay, how about this? We are going to wrap up this segment with three class of 2026 offers, all of them from none other than Stepanak High School. 6'3 guard Hassan Kouressi, 6'4 guard Josiah Jervis, and 6'6 forward Dylan Perry. Kouressi has offers from St. Bonaventure in Manhattan, Jervis from St. John's, St. Bonaventure, Manhattan, and Fordham, and Perry from Hofstra in Manhattan. Whew. This staff has been busy as of late. So let's face it. As Iona fans, it's our nature to dislike everything touched by Sienna in some way. But allow me to put forth an exception. He's Kevin Sweeney, college hoops writer for Sports Illustrated and a regular contributor to the national media network, The Field of 68. Let's welcome him onto the podcast now. Let's keep the razzing to him in when we know he's a Sienna guy, but... He is a, a growing uh, personality in college hoops, and let's welcome to the podcast now.
Kevin Sweeney is a college basketball writer for Sports Illustrated and a regular contributor to the Field of 68 Media Network. He's one of the top young hoops media stars out there right now, but no one's perfect, and Kevin grew up in upstate New York and is, well, a Sienna guy at heart. Will you let that slide for a few minutes here as we welcome Kevin to the podcast for the first time. Kevin, what's up? Yeah, I appreciate it, guy. I wasn't sure if uh, I would ever get this invite or if the uh, the pitch works for it would be out for me, but I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> so I think quite a few of the uh, regular listeners to this pod uh, know who you are, but if you want to take a cu- couple minutes to kind of introduce yourselves to the rest of Gale Nation and give us your life story, go for it. Yeah, so like you said, I work at SI now, um, been there for now almost two full years, which is crazy. Um, But have been in kind of the college basketball world since February of 2016. Um, That was when I started kind of tweeting and blogging. um, For those that remember, uh, Mm -hmm. cbcentral.com wrote a lot more, I think more mid-major stuff. I'd like to continue doing that. Obviously, like we have to write what will get read. And I think and I'm proud that we have done a lot of good mid-major stuff and kind of for- fortuitously gotten to do things like I was the guy who was there for all four St. Peter's NCAA tournament games and things like that, which was all very poetic. But, you know, I, the reason I fell in love with college basketball is when I wanted to do, I wanted to blog about it. And I was kind of influenced by a lot of people that covered the Mac, like, you know, Jaden Daly and John Templin and guys like that was the fact that you know, I grew up like my first real introduction to college basketball was the Siena teams under Fran McCaffrey that were obviously really, really good. And like, I, you know, my, my dad went to Siena, my brother wound up graduating from there. My mom works there now. Um, I'm not sure Mm. if that's proprietary. I don't think it's proprietary. Who cares? Yeah. Um, But (laughs) you know, it's like like the whole, it's a kind of a family business. And um, I don't think I realized at the time when like Sienna's beating Ohio State in the NCAA tournament, how ridiculous it is for like the tiny 3000 student liberal arts college in upstate New York to be beating Ohio State or blowing out Vanderbilt or uh, like building the, the types of teams that they had. And so, you know, that that led to a lot of heartbreak in coming years after that when they weren't as good um, and when they were repeatedly tormented by these Iona Gales. But, mm. um, you know, I, I, I think... It was at first was oh, I love Siena. Then it was I love the Mac. Then it was I love mid major basketball. And then it was I love college basketball, and have just been been really fortunate to make some great connections around the college basketball world. Whether it be media people, coaches who've kind of welcomed me with with open arms, and um, I get to do what I what I love every single day, which is I think pretty rare, and I'm certainly certainly very grateful for the opportunity. Uh, yeah, that's and, and here's a question I have for you too. I mean, for years, obviously, you're gonna give you're gonna give the 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 priority to the big schools. There's more clicks, there's more viewers, and all that. Is there does seem to be an an increase in mid media uh, mid media mid major media coverage uh, over the last few years? And again, people like yourself who kind of were ingrained in it and now becoming more national. I'm thinking of people like Sean Paul too. Um, do you, is there more, I mean, is, is there more of a, of a increase in that or am I just imagining that? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I think it's been, I think the field of 68 has been really valuable in the sense that like, it's just given, obviously, look, they, I, I work with them a lot. We talk, certainly talk about Kentucky and Duke plenty, but I, I think the fact that there is a, a national kind of platform for college basketball diehards, I think has really, really helped. And I think it's given people like me and people like Sean and people um, really, I, I think 
young, young, just young people in general who have been given opportunities to think of the Robinson twins who played at Quinnipiac who mm-hmm. uh, are now in the media lane. Like it's just, you know, I, I think we've been really lucky to have that platform from Jeff and Rob. Um, I, I think the other thing too, is like, it's been a good time to be around mid-major basketball, right? Like, obviously there's been so much change and it's, oh my gosh, the, it, you know, it's NIL this and, you know, money that. But at the end of the day, like, like I was sitting around watching Princeton make the Sweet 16. And I was like, this doesn't feel that crazy anymore because of the, yeah. the amount of like nuts stuff that has happened in the last two years between Oral Roberts and St. Peter's and Fairleigh Dickinson. Like, it's just, it's become somewhat routine that these things happen. And these stories are stuff that people still care about, right? Like, the way that FDU was covered, obviously Tobin was a great story and that team was, you know, was cool and unique and fun, but like people love, people love an underdog and that's not changing. So whether the sport, the landscape's going to continue to shift, I, I, it's not going to get easier. I think for, you know, teams at this level to build really great teams, but when they have that success, which they will continue to have, people are going to want to read about it. And I've been, I've been fortunate to get right, get to write a few of those stories. Also, as your stature is kind of rising in, in college hoop circles, I'm sure you've obviously go out of your way more so than ever to be objective, even with a school like Iona that you've grown up disliking. But wait a minute, hold the phone. There's actually now a legit reason for you to, dare I say, have respect for the Iona program these days. Tell us about your connection to the new staff here in New Rochelle. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I, I've started to kind of collect gear from all like the staffs that I'm pretty close with. And obviously I'm not like running around, like wearing it to games, but like, yeah, I'm sitting on the couch. Like, yeah, I'll throw on like a Loyola Chicago t-shirt. Like, that's cool. And I mean, I'm, I, I guess I might have to do that with Iona at some point, which I think will be kind of, kind of weird. I'll be like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, but no, so, so I've known Tobin for probably three years now. We connected first during the pandemic and I did a, a zoom call with him when he was at stack. Um, and, and honestly, I think, you know, I, I was just trying to find unique stuff to talk about. And he was a, an interesting guy, a guy I, I had kind of been somewhat familiar with just because I knew that people talked a lot about him from, from his time at Sienna's time in the Mac and, um, was a guy who just flat out won. And I was always kind of fascinated by like the division two to division one jump. So I wanted to talk to him and we connected for probably 20 minutes on zoom and just like one of the most authentic and real people I'd ever dealt with, um, and, and had, tr- and, and kind of continued, our relationship through the next few years, obviously it, it grew once he was a division one coach. Cause I felt like there was some back and forth that we could do. Right. Like, uh, unfortunately, like, I, I think one of the ways that media and media and coaches build relationships is kind of information sharing. And there's more information to share when you're a division one coach than a division two coach, but mm. uh, I had a tremendous amount of respect for Tobin. And I remember he got the job at FDU um, and we were doing for field of 68, this off the carousel series. And he got the job and I texted Goodman the next day. I was like, can I do Tobin Anderson? I have a relationship with him. And Goodman was like, how the hell do you know Tobin Anderson? Like, like, you know, it's like, he was so kind of out of left field and unknown. And so to, to do that, that zoom with him a few days after getting the FDU job and then mm-hmm. do it again with, with him after getting the Iona job a year later and him be known by literally everyone, not just in college basketball media, but kind of in the you know sports world at large was was a pretty wild twist. So he he he's become a really good friend, a loyal loyal friend to me, uh, but also their staff. Um, Pat Wallace, who's I, I guess the top assistant. I don't know if the the levels are defined, but uh, came from Loyola Chicago. I've known him for probably four years. I met him first when he was a grad assistant at Northwestern. I was an undergrad there. 
Uh, he went to Loyola Chicago to be the video coordinator and then an assistant coach for the last two years. Um, and I've, you know, I, I live a mile from Loyola's campus. I'm around a lot. Um, they've been really good, which has obviously been been helpful to me just being in that backyard. And, and Pat is, Pat is not a, a colleague. Pat is a friend. Like Pat, 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 Pat and I talk all the time and it has very little to do with oh like what can each of us get out of this right it's we just love basketball and yeah. he's one of the hardest working people i know super excited for him to be at iona um and super i think he's a just like an absolute superstar in this business and also got to know kyle washington as well who's pat's uh pat's good friend from from brewster academy days and now he's i think the player development guy at yep. iona yep. he was video video at loyola and so i met him the past year when you say hello so very likable staff, um, painfully likable, again, as the, as the guy that <laughs> has, has usually found reasons to dislike uh, the other girls for the last decade or so, but uh, very happy for those guys. And I think you guys are in great hands. So, and, and yeah, we're, we're excited about it. Um, you know, there's a good, it's more than a half and a half for sure that when the old regime left and, and, and Tobin came in that, you know, it's almost like, hey, we liked certainly like the winning that Patino led us to, but uh, the stress I think that he caused the fans with, will he leave or not, or who who's he taking with him, and uh, and even I know the athletic office itself I think is is better better frame of mind these days, and again just a difference in in what the situation was. I mean, in being in in, in uh, uh, press conferences with Patino for three years, I just still don't think he knows my name. Uh, meanwhile, like a week and a half after Tobin had the job, he was on my podcast and I have a cell phone number. So it's just a different world for us. And, you know, we're willing to, to trade, you know, a few spots and, and, and Ken Palm ratings or, uh, to, uh, to get some of that stuff back that we used to have at Iona. So, um, so yeah, uh, we, we, every, everybody that's met them and feels the same exact way you do that. I've been at a few different events with them now and it's. They're all just just really down to earth people who are excited to just be involved with basketball and be surrounded by people who are like junkies who want to who want to talk hoops. So um, there's just like an authenticity to them. Right. Yeah. And it looks like I, there, there are many words to describe Rick Pitino. I, I don't think that people would often use authentic as one of them. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think obviously that'll be a, a fresh breath, breath of fresh air for you guys. Absolutely. Um, so what Tobin and Pat and the rest of the staff have done in rebuilding Iona's roster and what two months is nothing short of remarkable. Certainly there's no way to know how it's all going to fit together just yet, but your thoughts on what you've seen of that roster and what you know of those, some of those players. Yeah, it was, it was funny. I was talking to Tobin for the off the carousel interview on, on field 68, uh, probably a month ago at this point, maybe a month and a half. Uh, and he was like, yeah, I filled like 20 scholarships in a calendar year, which is like the most ridiculous thing to ever possibly try to try to do, but very 2023. Um, and I think all things considered, right, like, especially in like an uncertain NIL climate and, and transitioning and, I mean, didn't get the job late, but also didn't get it early, right? It took a couple of kind of moves on the domino, you know, domino board to, to get Iona open and then to get Tobin the job. So um, I, I think he did a tremendous job really filling, filling, this, filling this thing out. I know they have one spot, maybe they'll toy with it, maybe they won't, yeah. but I, I think... I think that I just I think they did a good job of combining some of the athleticism that I think they'll want defensively with the skill level and shooting, which I think is really important for for that offensive system. Um, obviously, I think probably a little bit more thin up front, but 
that's somewhere Tobin's probably comfortable. And I think yeah. it's difficult in his system. Obviously he he wants to have size. Like he was joking with me, like everyone thinks I want to play really small just because I had that at FDU, but I had that at FDU because I got the job in May and there's not a lot of good bigs out there in May, right? Just that's the reality. And I think probably a similar situation at Iona, but um, I, I think it's difficult to find bigs that fit like they're, you know, some of the five out motion stuff they're going to do offensively. So to yeah. keep, you know, keep King Oz, as I hear he's referred to these days, I think <laughs> is obviously, obviously a big deal for them. Um, getting older at point guard, Joel Brown is big. I know they're very excited about him. Yeah. Um, I've kind of been on hot and cold on him just from the Cal tape, but Cal was such a, you know, a disaster show that I, I'm, I, I would like to try to give anyone the benefit of the doubt who played in that system and, and, and uh, with, with the lack of talent around him, I, I think he should probably be solid in, at the next level. And then I, I think Edon is, is obviously a huge, huge addition just in terms of like, first off, he was one of the first guys to commit um, mm-hmm. and that, that really helped. But I think also is a guy that has all Mac level talent in terms of like a bigger guard who can make shots and, I think he's probably like, if, if you ask me today, who's the leading scorer on Iona next year, I guess I would say him. That's a kind of hard thing to say. I think there's yeah. not a lot of necessarily separation between some of these guys, but I think mm-hmm. he's probably the ease, the safest choice to say, yeah, this guy's going to lead, lead Iona in scoring next year. Yeah. So you're a Mac guy. And you just watched all but one all Mac player from three all Mac teams, either graduate or hit the portal. I mean, I'm watching this and I'm like, what is happening in my league here? This is, uh, what kind of year are we in for? I mean, some teams seem to have rebuilt well enough, Iona among them, but what kind of le- year is this league in for? I think it's going to be tough, um, obviously. And and I think there's, you know, reason after reason why this portal exit has happened, whether it's, you know, obviously NIL is a part of it. Obviously it's, you know, the coaching changes and stuff like that. Sometimes it's just bad luck, timing, whatnot, but yeah, I think no matter how good recruiting everyone does, right? Like you can sit, sit there and say, wow, Tobin did an amazing job. There's no Walter Clayton's on the Siona team, right? Like he's, he's, he's an elite college basketball player. He's not an elite mid-major player, right? Like there's, you know, I, I think, you know, Carm did a nice job at Siena adding pieces, but it's really hard to replace a JV McCollum. That, that, that guy's really good. He's going to start, start a point guard at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You know, Ni- Niagara loses Thomason. He He's an awesome player, right? Like it's just, no matter how good work you do in the portal, you're always kind of swimming upstream when you're losing superstars. And you kind of have to hope that you can keep enough around that you have this kind of continuity and then nail a, nail a portal guy or two, nail a high school guy or two and, and hope for the best. But yeah, I, I think without a doubt, it's probably a down year coming for the league, um, which is not great given the league. I don't think has been in great shape the last few years, regardless. Yeah. Um, I think the, I think it's possible that, you know, you get a team that, can take off and win 23, 24 games, but it's, I just think it's going to be really hard. And I think it's probably more likely that we're in for a, you know, lots of, lots of 13 and sevens and 12 and eights and, you know, tiebreakers. And you know, unfortunately that probably pretends a, you know, 16 seed in the NCAA tournament. And that's yeah. unfortunate, but I don't think it's necessarily like destiny forever. I think it's, I think it's a one year, obviously like it's going to be hard. It's not going to, it's not going to get easier to retain players. I don't think, but I do think that the Mac, Mac I think Mac schools, if they aren't more prepared for handling retaining players next year, then they've done something wrong. I guess would be the way I would put it. Yeah. I've joked on the Mac message board uh, that we should have, we all the regular posters should throw in hundred bucks or whatever it is. So that <laughs> whoever is winning the Mac's going to date. And it feels like to me at this point, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm underestimating, but, but 
you know, hey, let's let's get let's get one of us to Dayton. Let's I want somebody to be there from that board. Uh, so uh, let's, I hope it's not that bad. But it sounds like you're a little more optimistic than that, but maybe not that much more. Yeah, I mean, it helps. Like obviously, the Mac got particularly hit hard, but things don't happen in a vacuum, right? Like I, I think other other leagues were 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 dealt big blows. Other leagues were worse than the Mac coming in, and and I think the other thing too is like never know what happens conference tournament week right like the mac has been certainly known for its kind of march march madness calamity and swapping out its one seed for a for a you know two three four but i think uh you know that can happen everywhere and if it does obviously that helps boost the max score but yeah obviously the hope hope mac wise would be to get you know a couple teams in like top 150 mix but Mm -hmm. i don't think it's obviously a guarantee it's hard it's hard to look at any one roster and say for sure yeah like that's the team that looks really good on paper just because of the amount of turnover yeah, and my I have a, a twinge of optimism because I also look at the rosters and I don't know if anybody's really going to be that bad either. Yeah, you know it's hard to say for sure, but I, you know I look at there's like everybody's got something to offer, so who knows? We'll see. Um, so I know we're recording this on June 26. Certainly not looking to hold you or anyone else any projections, especially when there are several Mac schools who are not done recruiting yet, or in the case of say somebody like Sienna waiting on an important waiver. Uh, but if you had to throw me a top five teams are not going to be in the in the pig who comes to mind right off the top of your head yeah i mean not i'm not sure i have ranking them not ranking them yeah i think the top five i would like are probably Ryder because they have you know the one returning all mac guy weeks from umass is a big time shooter i think he'll be a good player in this league i think iona with with tobin and and the trust you have in him as well as the you know the talent that they were able, able to bring in i think look around the league like it's a real case. This is the most talented roster in the conference, which I think is is a, is a testament to the job that he did. Um, I think I think Sienna and Niagara, I feel decent about. I, I think Sienna has probably you know that I, I think a guy who has a real chance to be Mac Player of the Year and Michael Ely. Um, and, and I think you know Karma obviously hasn't been as portal driven, and obviously some of this is dependent on the Dur Gordon waiver. But yeah. if he, if he can be eligible, especially, I think they did a good job with some of their freshmen. I think that's something that. I think they've kind of been conscious about is like, Hey, like we can get a more talented player if we take a freshman. And yeah, it's, that means you might take some lumps in November and December because you're playing 18 and 19 year olds. But I think long-term that can, that can have some benefits, even if they do transfer up, right? Like, you know, if we'll use the JV and McCollum example, right? Like there's not a lot of JV and McCollum level talents available as juniors and seniors in the Mac, whether that be as transfers or that be as JUCOs, like it's just hard. Um, so I, I think they'll be there. And I think Niagara was really aggressive in the portal, which I loved, right. Especially for, a school that I think, I mean, I don't know for sure, but on paper, you wouldn't expect to be making significant moves in the NIL space, right? Like they, 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 they added a lot of volume. They had a lot of transfers, guys who have had some proven level of production. Um, some questions at point guard for me, but I think they're, they're, they're in the mix. And I think Paulus, if you ask coaches around the league is really well-respected for, for what he runs offensively. Fifth is hard, man. I mean, I think I'd probably kind of like the Quinnipiac roster the most. I mean, I think it was kind of a, a bizarre, like the Bacora whole saga was bizarre, but mm-hmm. when you come out of it with like the athleticism that they have, especially up front with like Springs and Otieno and Mari Tice, and, you know, they get Elijah Taylor back, hopefully healthy. who was the you know Notre Dame transfer who a lot of people were excited about before, you know, I think he tore his ACL and then Belonk back as well in the backboard helps. So you know, a lot of point guard questions around the league. You say, oh, Quinnipiac, maybe no point guard. Okay, Niagara, I don't know what they're doing at point guard. Sienna, all right, what are they doing at point guard? Like, that, that, that's probably why we think the league is going to be down is when you don't have good point guards, it's probably going to be tough for the league. But 
I, I think those teams probably look the most talented slash most complete. And I trust all those coaches relatively, relatively solidly, at least. Okay. That sounds good. And then I can't let you leave without talking a little bit more. You brought up NIL, you brought up the portal and you brought up Dora Gordon. Um, we, uh, it was probably the most interesting Mac recruiting battle yeah. uh, for C- Santa and Iona for Dora Gordon. So I'm going to give you a, a three-part question, if you will. Um, so some high level thoughts on the impact of NIL on leagues like the Mac. Um, the, you know, what, what do you think of this new world with the portal where we have all of a sudden much very exciting off season? Uh, I think there's one been one benefit from it. That's been that, but, uh, just your thoughts on how the portal impacts college basketball is it good or bad really. Um, and then your take on how the whole recruitment of Dura Gordon went down and IL's role in it, uh, uh, impact of, um, the, you know, the, the latest transfer guidance impacting him and yeah. why he's in limbo right now. So a lot of stuff to roll into one answer there for you. Sure. So on the NIL front, uh, two years in, I think the biggest thing that surprised me is like how, like how many players NIL was going to be a significant factor in their recruitment. Right. Like I, I think when it started, I thought, okay, like the highest level guys, it was going to be a big deal and you were going to have to put together real money for it. But like, especially this spring, once there was like a market starting to settle in, like I was very surprised how many schools in the, I wouldn't say like Mac level, but like the, the next tier, like A10 schools, WCC, even like some, like some Horizon League schools I knew had a lot to throw around, like, like consistently throwing like $75,000 offers at like low, low major transfers up. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, not the like highest end guys in the portal from the Mac, right? Not the Walter Clayton's or the, the McCollum's or guys like that, but like some of the second and third tier guys, that was, those were the numbers I was hearing. And I was surprised by that because look, I think it's going to be really hard, especially in a world where it's not tax deductible, which is where we're going for any Mac school, let alone, you know, any of them that don't have strong fan bases to put together Fifty and $75,000 annual offers to their best players, right? It's one thing to lose the guys who are going to go to the SEC. It's another thing when like, all right, we now can't retain our talent to the Atlantic 10 or to like a good CAA school. That's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. How, how, how sustainable that is for everyone? I don't know, right? I think if you talk to coaches right now, it's June, right? There's obviously optimism like, yeah, in nine months, we'll have the money together to do this again next year or do it better next year. Will that happen? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, there could be federal legislation. Like there, there's all sorts of, uh, you know, there's all sorts of moving parts there. But I think the biggest thing is like at a, at a Mac level, like you want to be able to take care of your guys, right? Like make them feel comfortable, right? Even if you don't have, you know, 50 and 75 to throw around, like make sure that they're like everything they want is taken care of. They're never, you know, they're like, like you, you just want to give them as, as good a student athlete experience as you can. Right. And whether that's, sweetening the pot with 25 grand or whether that's, you know, better facilities, investments, things like that. Like, I think you have to be smart about where you're asking for money and, and things like that. And, and you have to be really smart allocating your resources, right? Like if you go on the point, if you have, you know, 60 grand to spend on your team as a whole, spending it all in one place might not be the smartest thing. Mm-hmm. Spending it, you know, like the gates, it's going to be a very big learning curve. And I don't know that it will be solved in one off season. So, um, as for how that impacts the portal, I think, you know, it is very exciting. It's very fun. But I think the other thing is, obviously, it's it's hurting teams in the Mac right now. It's very, very clearly is. And I think the longer term thing, and this kind of ties to the NIL, 
it is portal guys are more NIL conscious than high school kids, especially lower level high school recruits. So if you're going to recruit good portal kids, you're going to need money to spend. So you're either going to be able to afford maybe two, three transfers, or you're going to have to take worse transfers, right? Like that's kind of the reality. And I think, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, like I think you're going to have to make decisions on, do we want younger talent or older experience? How everyone balances that and answers that question is kind of everyone else's everyone's choice, right? And I think I think some coaches will try young one year and hate coaching young guys, then try old one year and hate they don't have any talent, right? Like that's yeah. just the kind of the, the way of the world. Yeah. Um, as for the you know Dur Gordon situation, and some certainly was an interesting recruitment. Um, I think it will be interesting to see if Sienna and Iona can kind of one up the rest of the Mac from an NIL standpoint. Obviously that was mentioned in the, um, in the articles and whatnot after the commitment was that NIL was a factor. Um, I don't think either program really wants to be a bidding war program. I'm not sure that either program is resourced well enough to be a bidding war program, but yeah, if there's a bit of a sweetener that one can throw in to get a guy done, who I think probably is one of the more talented players in the league, you have to do it. Now, the only reason he's, probably available to a Sienna or to an Iona is the fact that he might have to sit this year. And for one, I don't, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world, right? Like it, if, if you spent all your NIL money on a guy who can't play, that might be a difficult look, mm. but I, I think, I, I, I actually think that like finding guys who can sit out or are willing to sit out is kind of a good strategy for a Mac team right now, right? Like you're, if you can get a higher level of player and you can, you don't need 13 playable guys, right? Like it's great if you can do that, but realistically pretty hard to fill 13 good players. So if I can stick one at the end of my bench that might have to sit next year, but gets me all league level talent, that's a risk I'm probably willing to take. Will he be eligible? I don't know the specifics enough of the situation to really say. Um, Obviously it's a big deal in the Mac. Um, I think I will say this. If, if him being eligible is a sign that everyone is going to be eligible who transfers twice without graduating and that there is truly no teeth to NCAA enforcement and whatnot, I think it's like the, the landscape is just going to get harder, right? Mm-hmm. Because the one benefit of, hey, we can recruit a transfer who has two or three years to play is like, all right, we got him now. Like he's stuck. And if he's not stuck and he can move whatever he wants, it doesn't matter. Then I think it's, it, that's the sense I say I agree or disagree with the rule. I just think like, at some point, like there has to be some sort of guideline, like this is how it works. And if the rule is like, well, you can't transfer, but you can, we'll give you a waiver. As long as you like, say you had a mental health issue, whatever, like that's going to be really tricky. My, my personal opinion on the whole thing is that everyone should be able to transfer once and everyone, if their coach leaves or is fired or whatever, that should be a grounds for a second transfer. There should be no other grounds. There should be no, like why, why they chose the one wishy-washy thing of like, mental health or other extenuating circumstances like the waiver criteria to me was like bananas like like mm-hmm. who who decided like yeah we want more paperwork on our desks like right. it, it just made no sense to me <laughs> but uh yeah I, I, that was that was a very long kind of winded answer but hopefully that answered some of your questions slash uh enlightened <laughs> some people on some of the stuff i see in the day-to-day markets of the things yeah no it was a three-part question so i i i expected it to be longer um, so my concern with, with NIL, let's just take a roster. Let's say you give a guard $100,000 and then you, another guard gets 20000 
and the kid who the kid who got the 20 averages 12 points a game the, the kid who got 100 averages nine points a game what kind of friction is that going to cause in a locker room a lot i mean it's <laughs> it's very it, it's funny because i don't think we've totally seen that yet um but i think it's coming because more guys are going to get paid and more numbers are going to become obvious yeah. i'm almost I'm almost more concerned. Like, I think, I do think guys are somewhat more mature than given credit for. Like, I think a lot of times, like, like the contract is what it is. They're going to want more. I think the, the my, my bigger concern is like, it's never enough, right? Like it's, oh, I wanted, you know, I need a hundred thousand to stay, right? We'll use, we'll use that number. It's just a big round number. And then all of a sudden it's June and I'm able to graduate. And now there's all these people saying I can get 400. Well, I want 200 now. Right. And I was talking to a, a Mountain West staff about this on the road recruiting a couple weeks ago. Like they felt like maybe they could get to the kids desired number on March 30th, 30th. But what happens in two months and in six months in September, when they say they're not happy or they want their parents, they want a house for their parents or, Oh, this happens, this happens. Like us, what happens next year? Are we going to let them walk next year? Are we going to spend $200,000 to have them for one more year? And then he's going to transfer anyway. Mm. Like I, I think I think that's the hard thing is that it's not, okay, we negotiated this, it's done because it's not like a set market. It's not a contract, like an, an, an NBA contract where you have some level of like, you have to stay through the you know remainder of the contract. I don't, I don't know how you approach it. I think when you have a tight budget, like every max school is going to have, right? Inevitably, this is not going to be like, oh, we have a million dollars to spend. If we blow 200 by accident, it doesn't matter. Like that's not gonna, if you if you invest big in a player and it fails, it is going to really have an impact on your on your team. Um, and it might have an impact on your ability to fundraise in the future. I, I just, th I think it's going to be really, really challenging to answer all these questions. And I think it's where you need good athletic department support. You need, you know, a coach who's bought into it. And I think you need people, whether they be boosters or people involved in your collective or however you want to call your, you know, NIL machine, you need people who are intelligent, but not trying to run the operation, right? Like you don't, you do not need people attempting to be the GM of, Iona or the GM of Siena, right? Mm. That's, that's not a good recipe because right. especially at this level, like you're just, everyone, it, it's going to, it's going to turn into a pissing contest that nobody wants. So yeah. that would be my concern. All right, and then I'll, I'll ask you one more NIL related question. Our, our friend Rick Bettino uh, had no roster spots. Oh wait, somebody else is available. I think we'll take them. And, but Hey, let's pay that last roster spot with NIL money. Is that going to lead to like schools that would have infinite dollars starting to stockpile players? Uh, I think yes, to a small extent, but I, I think I think the the narrative about that move has become a little bit overrated, just in the sense of like, at some point, like logic steps in, right? Like the people who are donating this money are still business people, and the yeah. players who the, the the teams involved, like players, still want to play, right? So yeah, so there's certain 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 circumstances where you'll say, okay. Like we have the opportunity to go get Simeon Wiltshire. We're going to pay him with an IL or we get a great international kid. We're going to pay him with an IL. Sure. That's, that's possible. But I think the, I think the overriding thing, and we just saw a kid from Alabama hit the portal, Javon Quinterly, um, who's widely you know rumored to be getting a bigger offer somewhere else. And the bigger offer is like, he's going to be the starting point guard. He's obviously going to get a ton of money. It's probably more money, but the reason it's more money than Alabama is because he doesn't matter that much to Alabama. He matters right. to Alabama, but Alabama has Aaron Estrada, who Mac, Mac fans know, and they have mm -hmm. one other transfer, and they have you know another guy coming back in the backcourt. 
So like, yeah, like if, if Javon Quinterly walks into the office and says, I want X amount of money and you say like, yeah, whatever, man, like move on. Right. And I think that's, what's really going to happen. Right. Like at some point, the 14th man, it's not that valuable. So right. you're not going to spend that much money. Maybe there's a few schools where the money is so stupid that you will do it anyway. But I, I, I don't anticipate that being like a massive trend where every high major team now has 17 scholarship level guys and it just further depletes the talent. I, I don't think that's where we're going. Okay. All right. Well, it's something, of course, that's sensitive to us because two of the last guys on that St. John's men's Iona transfers. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, we, we want to gale, always a gale kind of thing. So um, anyway. Well, Kev, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on the podcast. Uh, one thing's for certain, the portals made things this off and NIL have made this off season far more interesting than a typical off season. So I know you're quite busy and I appreciate you taking the time. It's been great having you on. And for all, for both of our sakes, let's hope the Mac is not as awful as we think it might be this year. Yes. I, I hope so too. Appreciate you having me. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully the Yales have a slightly quieter off season in 2024. Oh, nice. I would hope so. Jeez. Hard, <laughs> hard not to. <laughs> let Tobin go fishing, man. Let's, let's do it. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you again for coming on and we'll catch up down the line. Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks again, Kevin Sweeney, for joining the podcast. And I hope Gale Nation can finally appreciate something good actually came out of Siena. Anyway, it was a packed episode, and it's ramping up down the stretch, as I've been telling you guys. we got more scout reports to come, and then it's preview season around here on the pod. Stick around for the ride. Go Gales. Thank you for listening to this edition of the IonaHoops.com podcast. This podcast is a production of IonaHoops.com with publisher Guy Filatico. The opinions shared during this podcast are those of Guy Filatico, IonaHoops.com, and any featured guests. This podcast is not affiliated with Iona University Athletics or the university itself. Thank you for supporting IonaHoops.com.